Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We're going to study the book of Daniel, and we're in chapter 3. Um, we left off at verse 8, but there's some people here who weren't here uh, before, so um, I'm going to do a quick backstory, sort of like if you watch a TV show, they go last week on whatever, and they kind of recount things. So for the last two weeks, we've done uh, two studies on Daniel. Okay, this is Daniel, book of Daniel. If you're going to turn there, go to the middle of your Bible and take a right and go about three books to the right from the middle, and you should come after Ezekiel to Daniel, and we'll be in chapter three. Daniel is one of the major prophets it's, this is Jewish scriptures, Old Testament. Um, the situation we, we're in in Daniel is it's about 600 years before Christ. That's the time frame. Um, Israel has not obeyed God. Um, they have been uh, getting into idolatry, idols and that sort of thing. They've disobeyed God. As a result, he, God, allowed, this is the chapter one story, allowed the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, to take over Israel. And they took with them some of the implements from the uh, temple, some of the sp special implements used in the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and brought them to Babylon as spoils of war. But they also took the best and brightest young teen to mid-teen boys who were smart, Chapter one talks about this, who were good looking. They want to sort of inculcate them, train them to become Babylonian pagans. Hopefully they'll forget their Jewish religion and move on. That's the hope, at least. Among those is Daniel and his three friends, and their Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So God has punished Israel they're in exile. Babylon has taken over most of the world and Israel. But God is still with a remnant, as he always is, certain people, Daniel and his three friends, who have made a vow that they will not compromise their faith and not become like the Babylonians. So um, in chapter one, they wouldn't compromise when it came to food. The king's food was sacrificed to idols, and um, it wasn't kosher, the Jewish food that the Jews were supposed to eat. So they wouldn't eat it. There's a test, and they come out. God does a miracle basically in chapter one and they come out great. Um, chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has some scary dreams and he has his uh, supposed uh, magicians and sorcerers try to figure out the dream, but they can't. But Daniel can. That's uh, chapter two. Chapter two is that dream. He dreams that he has a, there's a huge statue. And it has a head of gold and various other parts in silver and bronze and iron. And then at the bottom, the feet are made of iron and clay. And what happens in the dream is a stone cut without hands um, comes flying in and hits the statue in the feet. And the whole thing is reduced to dust and blows away. Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by this dream. Daniel interprets that this is Gentile kingdoms. Gentile is a word meaning non-Jew, basically. All the Gentile kingdoms that have to do with Israel. And that he, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, is the head of gold. The silver was the Medes and Persians, Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the bronze, which was the Greek Empire. Iron was the Roman Empire, that's the legs. And then the feet was 
iron mixed with clay. Clay in the Bible is work vessels of clay people. So it's a weaker thing because it's iron and uh, clay. Um, it is thought that that's the revived Roman Empire and that the stone that hits it and blows the whole thing away is Christ at his second coming. There are scholars that disagree with that, but that's the majority opinion. Christ at his second coming destroys all um, human government and takes his place as the rightful king of kings, lord of lords on the throne on earth. Um, that's what the stone uh, hitting the bottom would be, the feet. Um, we already talked about that. Yeah, Revelation 19 says that Christ would return to the earth as the king of kings, smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron. That's what the vision is. But Nebuchadnezzar is troubled because he's the head of gold and the whole thing is blown away. So I'm giving you this information because now uh, he ends up realizing in chapter two, yeah, your God is pretty special. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. But does he become a believer? No, despite the evidence. In fact, pick it up in chapter three, verse one. Those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, say amen so I know you're awake. Beautiful. See a few people waving. Beautiful. All right. Chapter three um, of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. He's back to idols again. <clears throat> 90 feet high and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. This is an idol. 90 feet is roughly a nine or 10 story building. This thing is huge. Okay. Can be seen from miles away. And it's going to be an object of worship. Here we go. By the way, the Babylonians were uh, polytheists. Poly means many theists, gods. They believed in many gods. The god of the moon, the god of the sun, the god of love, the god of wine. You, they got a god for everything. The Jews are monotheistic, one god. Christians believe in that same god, but we understand that he is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm just reviewing here. Verse 2, he then summoned the... And there's a list of people here that are all the leaders of the various parts of the government. The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. He sells it as if it's a political event. It's just this big monolith thing, this big statue. We're going to have a dedication ceremony, okay? It's going to turn out to be the melding of man-made government with religion, okay? Keep in mind, what we're going to try to do tonight is tell you what's going on here, but also I'm going to show you why it's so pertinent right now in 2021. Okay, let's see, where were we? Okay, so verse 3, um, that whole list, they all assembled for the dedication of the image Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound, he's got a huge international band there. These instruments are international from all over. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Suddenly, it's a religious ceremony. You must worship this thing, bow down to it. Got the picture? The whole band is playing probably very 
beautiful music to get them in the mood, probably seductive type music. Verse six, though, is it a free will kind of a worship? No. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Pretty clear, right? Worship or die. Got it? So, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the... See, the repetition is to show you the international flavor of this whole thing. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped. This crowd is massive on this plane all around this um, golden statue. By the way, we're not sure we're not told what it is. It's not necessarily the statue of a man, although it probably is. Remember, well, I'll get to the gold in a second. Um, let's see. Um, so they fell down immediately and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse eight is where we left off. Okay, a couple quick things. In the first chapter, we found out that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four guys, were not the only ones taken from Israel. There were other young men taken to be trained. We never hear of them. What does that mean, Joe? It probably means this, that they went along with the new Babylonian way of life. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Forget our Jewish heritage and our dietary laws. Forget the religion. We're here now. We worship their gods. There's no mention of them not bowing down here to this image. Okay. Next thing you need to know is as you read the story, you're going to find out no Daniel. You say, what? Where is he? We don't know. It's not mentioned. Away on official business. He's been made sort of the prime minister of all of Babylon because he was able to tell the king what his dream meant. Okay. His dream, by the way, was that statue, remember, head of gold. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. You have the absolute authority in your kingdom, but you're going to be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. That's the silver kingdom. And it goes down the rest of the body. Nebuchadnezzar hears it, understands it, says great things about the God of the Jews in chapter two. But in chapter three, he decides I'm going to fix the problem. The problem is that statue had too many different metals. I'm going to make a statue all of gold that's going to be about me, about my kingdom, and it's going to last forever. And everyone's going to worship it. I'm going to fix it. He's going against God all the way, right? The Jews have strict instructions in the Old Testament not to um, worship any idol, right? Don't bow down anything. Don't make anything out of stone or gold or silver and bow down to it. Um, have no other gods before me uh, in the Ten Commandments. Okay, so everybody has just saluted and bowed down, or have they? Verse 8, at this time, some astrologers, these are some of these magician guys that were supposed to be able to tell Nebuchadnezzar's dream and weren't able to, they came forward and denounced the Jews, meaning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends, okay, who are about 20 years old now, late teens, early 20s. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 9, O king, live forever. 
kind of buttering him up. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, electric guitars, and drums, okay, I threw that in, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. He's reminding the king, hey, you said everybody has to worship. We saw some people not worshiping. Guess who it is? Those three Jewish boys, right? Why is there a blazing furnace near this big statue? It is thought that this would be a thing that looked like a giant beehive, if you will, okay? Hole at the bottom where you could put fuel in. It would get narrower at the top, hole at the top like a chimney, but bigger than a chimney so that the smoke can escape. And it's where they would have maybe melted down the metals and other materials and the gold for the statue, which, right, which is right there. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you better worship my statue right here, because if you don't, you see that furnace right there. It's close by. You're going to burn in there. Worship or burn. Okay, that's the whole story so far. Um, let's see. So they remind, they remind him of his proclamation that you got to worship or you're going to burn. Um, let's see, verse 12, but there are some Jews who have set, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Not only did Daniel get promoted to prime minister, his three friends got associate positions in government high up as well. You've uh, elevated these guys um, and, and he, he names them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. So he's saying it's personal. They're thumbing their nose at you, King Nebuchadnezzar. They won't listen to you. You're sovereign. You're in control. They won't agree. Neither do they serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So they're telling on them. If you can picture in a big plane, this statue, I want you to picture that you're there in the video of your mind here, and just a crowd of thousands and tens of thousands, all hearing the music, all bowing down, except three guys who would stand out like a sore thumb, right? But they don't care. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Daniel, who's not there, have said, we will never worship other gods. We know who the real God is. So, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned the three, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, I want you to notice, I think this is said in a very calm tone of voice. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Just asking for confirmation. I'm not going to believe the rumors and hearsay. I want to hear it from your lips. Is it true? Notice the word uh, gods. Did you see that? Plural, right? You don't have gods. You have God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God. I'm just turning to my notes here. So um, let's see. Um, he's accusing them of disloyalty to the king, and of impiety, or not worshiping his gods. 
They're reminding him, you said they're going to have to burn. These guys stand to gain if they burn. Do you know why? They move up the chain and probably take the positions Daniel and his friends had. So that's why they're sort of tattling on them, telling on them. So he asks, is it true? Verse 14. And verse 15, he adds, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then... If that happens and you go in the furnace, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He gives them a second chance. Look, maybe you got here late. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. I'm going to give you a chance to repent here. We're going to start the music again, strike up the band, turn on the amplifiers again. And when, when the music starts, you'll have a chance. We're watching, okay? But the music never starts. Keep in mind, thousands of people are here. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's big moment. And if you've ever been at a party where there was music going and it comes to a screeching halt and everybody stops, the whole party's been ruined. Nebuchadnezzar's being ridiculed all because these three guys won't bow down. Okay. So you know what's going to happen, don't you? By the way, the danger in this story is you've probably heard it before. The three boys in the furnace, you know, and God protects them. And you know the story. I want you to know there's so much here. We could spend a month here and not cover it all. Don't worry, we won't, but we could. <laughs> um, so he gives them a second chance. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. King James has, we're not careful. We're not worried about it. There's nothing we have to say. You already know who our, our God is. And we wouldn't eat your food before. We're certainly not going to bow down to something, whether you say it or not. So they don't really give excuses. I want you to notice all the things they could have said. How about if we just bow down halfway, right? Compromise. How about if we just genuflect? Would that be all right? And we can just get on with this party here. What if they had thought this? No one would know. Our parents aren't here, right? Everybody's back in Israel under the control of the Babylonian empire. We could just bow down. We could even bow down and say in our minds, I don't really believe in this God. I really believe in you, God. There's so many ways they could have gone. Notice how much compromise, half a kneel. Well, how about one knee? None of that. They just say, we're not going to do it. Watch. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Verse 17, <clears throat> speaking of the threat. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, I want you to notice the language here, is able to save us from it and will rescue us from your hand, O king. Because he had asked the question, remember, what if I throw somebody in there, what God will save you? Remember that question? He, they're saying, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to rescue us from it. Point one, he has the power. Okay. Point two, and he will rescue us 
from your hand, O king. That's different than rescue you from the furnace. I'll show you why in a second. But here comes uh, sovereignty of God, verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. I love this, okay? Let me tell you why. Because they're not presumptuous and they say, he'll definitely save us from the furnace. That's not what they say. He's able to, we know he has the power to, but we don't want to be presumptuous. He hasn't told us that he's going to do it. They even say, even if he doesn't, and we are vaporized in that flame in half a second, we still won't bow down, right? The, the command of the king was, worship my image or burn, right? And they say, we'd rather burn than worship your image. We would rather burn worshiping our own God. Here's the point. Throughout history, imagine if it was the case that every time a Christian was arrested or taken captive by a foreign government and said, you better renounce Jesus or we'll kill you. And they said, no, we won't do it. The guns always jammed. The gas chamber didn't work. The guillotine was too dull and they always were rescued. Then it wouldn't take any faith, would it? But truth is 11 of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ faced that situation. Recount, recount and say, you don't believe in Jesus and we'll let you go. And what did they say? no way. Go ahead. Kill us. We know what we believe, right? No compromise. God doesn't always save us from uh, the fire, from um, suffering, but he either saves us from the suffering, as he's about to do in this story, or saves us through the suffering. There's a difference, isn't there? Okay, well, let's look at the difference, and then we'll keep moving. Um, so th this is a lot of guts. The whole crowd is waiting to hear what they say. Now they've made the king look bad. They've said, are God's able? Um, and he will rescue us from your hand. Because they believe what Paul believed. Do you remember Paul wrote? For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's like a win-win, right? If I stay alive, then that's a win. I live for Christ. If I die, it's gain. I go to be with the Lord, right? They're thinking the same thing. Um, you could also quote Acts 5, where Peter is under arrest, and they've told him and the other apostles, stop preaching this name of Jesus. Do you remember that in Acts 5? And Peter says, no thanks. We must obey God rather than men. If God had not given a command not to worship idols, they'd be free to do it. But it was pretty clear, right? Read the Ten Commandments, Exodus 3 and elsewhere. Have no other gods. Don't bow down. Don't make any idols. Don't bow down to them. Um, don't have them in your homes, etc. So their choice is a tough one, but they have so much faith that they're willing to go all the way into the fiery furnace if that's what happens. Maybe they're secretly hoping God will snuff out the fiery furnace or something. Um, yeah, worship my idol or die, King Nebuchadnezzar. God the Father, worship idols and you will die, okay? It's interesting that a fiery furnace 
is a little bit reminiscent of the whole idea of hell, isn't it? Burning, you know, and all of that and great suffering. Um, let's see. This is very similar to Pharaoh in the Old, in the Old Testament um, where um, he is dealing with Israel and he hears that God's able to deliver them, but he just has a hardened heart. We'll see. Um, do you remember when Job chapter 13, Job says about God, remember he's suffering. His friends say, you know, there must be something wrong between you and God. And Job says, I know my Lord, uh, though he slay me, even if he kills me, I'll still trust in him. Okay. How can you have that much faith? Number one, by understanding that the very life that you have, the heart beating in your chest, the blood in your veins is all a gift from God, right? Just as the, the whole kingdom Nebuchadnezzar has is a gift from God. Does he realize it yet? No. Will he? Well, we'll see, right? I'm still reading notes. Yeah. Um, they don't, there's no compromise from these boys. I, I just love that. Okay. Um, still reading notes here. Um, yeah, it's sort of a little showdown, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar and his idol God and the God of the Bible, right? Who's going to win this little test? We've already had one of those and in the book of Daniel, and God won easily. He always does, right? But there is that con con uh, contrast being made. Um, this whole story is one of the most noble stories about faith that doesn't compromise. Listen. For you and I living here in America this year, things could change in America very quickly to where you will be uh, in big trouble for believing what you believe. And um, there'll be great persecution for believers. Is it going to happen next month? I don't think so. But could it happen in our lifetimes? Absolutely. Um, let's see. Their submission to God is so admirable. How many have heard the saying, Every man has his price, right? You say, I would never do that. And somebody says, how about for $500,000? No, I still wouldn't do it. How about $2 million? How about $100 million? Sooner or later, most people go, hmm, what is it again that I have to do? These guys have no price. They're not willing to compromise. So they will not we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Last thing before we move on. We said last week on Zoom that there is in the whole universe, Isaiah 40 to 45, he says it over and over and over. God does. I am God and there's no other. There's no other God. Why are you saying that, Joe? Not only because we're monotheistic, but because there are people that worship other gods, right? In our world. We said last week, there's more than 330 million gods in Hinduism. There's Allah in Islam, right? There are all kinds of false gods, idols. If you go to deepest, darkest Africa, you'll find places where they worship stone um, idols and what have you. All of those are man-made fakes. Okay. They're not gods at all. You know that. What we said last week that is surprising is Satan wants worship. Okay. And he doesn't care whether you worship him as Satan or whether you worship a big, huge statue. He stands behind the statue and says, bring it. I love it. 
He receives the worship, all worship, that's not, worship, that's not pointed toward the true one God. Verse 19. So they said, no thanks, we're not going to do it. This is a big showdown. The whole crowd's waiting to see what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. King James has his countenance changed. His whole face changed, right? Can you picture it? I think it got red. I think his smile became a scowl. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning furnace. Okay? They've had their second chance. No way. We're not going to do it. He gets so angry. It's a showdown. He's got to show them he's more powerful. The ordering of the furnace seven times hotter, okay, might be hyperbole, meaning an exaggeration. What it means is, boys, make it as hot as you can make it, right? Maybe they had a way that they put in 62 logs and that made it hot enough. Well, seven times 62 is, you know, whatever that would be. And they, and let me get a calculator, I'll get right back to you. And they put in even more logs and make it crazy hot. But it is red hot in there now. Okay, they heat it up, and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego say nothing, right? There's no, oh, wait, wait, we didn't know you were serious. Give us a third chance. They heat up the, the furnace to the boiling point. So, verse 21, these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The fact that they're dressed the way they are shows that they respected the authority of the king to a point. They're very dressed up, okay? And with that, those nice, uh, that nice set of clothes they have on, they're bound, okay, with ropes, and they're marched up probably a, a ramp or a stairway to the very top of the big beehive furnace thing with a big hole at the bottom where you could put stuff in, and also see in from a safe distance, because now it's really hot. They take them up there and throw them in. What nobody ever mentions is, because in your mind, what, you, what are you thinking about? The heat, right? Burning up, what a horrible way to die. I got news for you. The height of this thing being thrown in, if the heat didn't kill you, you would break your back, your legs, your head, depending on how you landed, it's not two feet where you just jump down. They're thrown in. You got the picture? We're going to see that they're not only not harmed by the fall, but by the heat as well. So um, let's see. He commanded, verse 20, some of the strongest soldiers in the army. Okay. He picked the biggest, best, strongest guys in the army. I want you guys to throw them in. Okay. Got the picture, but the furnace is so hot. Pretty amazing. Watch. So these men, verse 21, they're thrown into the blazing furnace. Verse 22, the King's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed those soldiers 
who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got the picture? They walked up there with them, barely able to, you ever been close to a fire? You almost feel like it's burning the, your eyelashes and your hair, and they throw them in, and they're instantly incinerated. The soldiers that carried them up there and threw them in, okay? Still haven't heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego yet. So those guys are vaporized. I think the king is already going, wow. If they were vaporized, there'll be nothing left of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? It's, it's a major believer barbecue, right? And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the furnace. Okay, now, one of the commentaries that I read this week brought out the fact that what was the command of Nebuchadnezzar? When you hear the music, everyone is to what? Not just worship. What was before worship? Fall down. Okay. In By the way, this book, uh, Daniel, is unique for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which is it's not written in Hebrew, Old Testament. It's not written in Greek, New Testament. It's written in Aramaic. Okay. Very unusual. The Aramaic word for when you hear the music, everybody fall down is the same word here in verse, whatever that was, I just read, 23. And these men firmly tied fell down into the blazing furnace. What was the command? Fall down and worship, right? The men fell down into the furnace. Wouldn't it be interesting if they not only fell down, but ended up worshiping as well? Let's see. Verse uh, 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar got out his s'mores and hot dogs to, no, okay, that's not in there. Then verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He's watching from a safe distance where he can see the hole in the side of this furnace thing where you can see in. He leaped to his feet in amazement, verse 24, and asked his advisors, a little math lesson here. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? I mean, it's kind of a stupid question, right? He's been saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even I can count. That's three, right? He's saying, wait, wasn't there three? You're saying, well, what difference does that make? Makes a big difference, right? They replied, certainly, O king. So you threw three in there. Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So you got the picture? There's a furnace in which no man could live, not even for a second, okay? By the way, if King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to torture these men, you don't turn the heat up. You turn the heat down so that they roast slowly, right? That hot of heat, you'd be gone so fast, you wouldn't even feel it, right? Just boom. Okay, three men go in, follow me on the math here. Now there's four in there, but he distinguishes one of them because he says his appearance is different. It's like a, notice his theology, polytheist, many gods. It's like a son of the gods. What on earth does that mean? If the fourth man in there, just looked like another man, 
okay? Like Nathaniel's a young man, right? Then it would just be, there's four guys in there now, and there used to be three, what's going on? But he notices, King Nebuchadnezzar does, the appearance of the fourth guy is totally different. He looks like a son of the gods. Okay, so what do you want to know? Who's the fourth dude, right? Okay, we can't be absolutely certain, but most scholars feel, some scholars, by the way, feel like it was an angel in there to protect them, okay? But most scholars feel that this is a son of God, singular. What do you mean? In the Bible, Jesus the man, okay, is born in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Actually, he's born right around 4 BC, 3 BC. Some say 7 BC. That's when he's born. Got the picture? Jesus the man, born in Bethlehem, son of Mary, okay, he, his life started around 4 BC, let's say. You got the picture? So are you saying, Joe, 600 years before this, there's no Jesus? Correct. Because I'm distinguishing Jesus the man. Got the picture? But Jesus the man is fully man, but he's also fully God, deity. He says so in a hundred ways. The Christ, second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the Son of God, okay, the Word, who became flesh, existed with the Father from all eternity past. Are you with me? That is the Christ, second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Okay, we're distinguishing between Jesus the man and the Son of God. Most scholars think this is the Christ, the Son of God, appearing there um, before Christ before the manger. By the way, um, oh, I'm going to forget his name now. Hmm. There's a book called Christ Before the Manger. Um, it's not Hank Hanegraaff. It's Ron Rhodes wrote the book, Dr. Ronald Rhodes. Great book. It goes through all the Old Testament places where not an angel appeared, but the angel of the Lord appeared, and it is Christ. Okay? Um, for example, the Moses with the burning bush, remember all that? The, burning, the voice in the burning bush tells Moses, I want you to go lead my people Israel. And Moses says, you got the wrong guy. The, God says, look, I know what I'm doing. I'm paraphrasing. And Moses says, well, when I meet the Jews, what's your name, God, so I can tell them who sent me? And God says, I am. You shall say, I am that I am. I am sent you. Centuries later, John 8, 58, the Jews are arguing with Jesus about who he is. And he says, before Abraham was, I was? No, I am. Claiming to be the voice in the burning bush. An example of a Christophany. It's a fancy word. It just means an appearance of Christ before the manger, before Bethlehem. I believe, as most scholars do, this is Christ in appearance. There's so much faith in these three men that are willing to die, right? And they have clearly stated that they know God is able to protect them, but they're also not pretentious enough to say, and he will, because we're so holy. They even said, remember, even if he doesn't protect us, we're still going in. I believe Christ is in there with them, protecting them from the fall down into that thing, protecting them from the fire, 
Okay, it's absolute miracle. It's so hot, you can barely look at it. The kind of, you ever see hot, you ever been in the desert when it's really hot and you can see the waves in what you're looking at, it kind of like looks blurry almost. It's that kind of hot. But Nebuchadnezzar's not wrong. There's a fourth guy in there, right? And it looks like a son of the gods. Okay, did you notice? Look at the wording again. A couple things to really um, look at seriously. I see four men, verse 25, walking around. Isn't that interesting? Why aren't they just standing there? They're walking around. Okay, number one. I said they fell down, just like fall down and worship. I believe they fell down, and I believe they are worshiping their Lord in there. Number two, what is, why walking around? They're walking around with whom? Christ. It's a metaphor for Christian life. We're told to abide in him, walk, our Christian walk. You ever heard that term? They're walking around in the fire, not frantically, get me out of here, Right? How often do you and I, when we have a fire, a furnace, a tough period of our life, a, a trial, a great period of suffering or testing, do you ever pray this way? Please, God, get me out of here, right? When maybe we ought to pray, if it's your will, get me out of here. But if not, may I learn everything I'm supposed to in here, right? Go ahead, Ken. Could this also be connected with the fact that they never did bow down to Nebuchadnezzar? Absolutely. He said, is it possible this is connected? I'm repeating it for the, our TV audience. Um, is it possible this is connected to the fact that they didn't bow down? Absolutely. God responds to our faith, that kind of faith. Even if you kill me, I'm not bowing down. God shows up in those instances. Does that mean I'm going to see him when I'm in the hospital or when I'm in a tragic situation or I'm in pain? Probably not. But know that he is there, absolutely, with us there. Um, a scholar from years ago, I can't think of who said it, but somebody said that God whispers to us when everything's good and yells when everything is bad. We hear him much better. My old pastor at Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz, California, Dr. Roy Kraft, he's gone home to be with the Lord. He, he was an amazing little, little short, chubby guy. Did you ever see him? Okay, you did. He's from Santa Cruz. Um, uh, he, used to, he used to say, um, what does, he had a voice kind of like this, almost like, a, like helium, you know? He was, I won't do the voice. He would say, what does God have to do to get your attention. He used to say, some people only look up, meaning toward God, when they're in a hospital bed and there's nowhere else to look. What does God have to do to get your attention? Listen, these boys know, they knew what was going to be written by Paul, okay, which is quoting the Old Testament, and it's this. Paul writes, about Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The trippy thing about that verse is it's quoting Isaiah, which is talking about God. And he's saying about God, I'm ascribing that to Christ. Every knee will bow. You say, what does that mean? It means this. 
every single human being that ever lived will one day bow to Christ. Either, hallelujah, somebody said, amen. Listen, either you do it in this life as you all are because you're believers. We bow to Jesus and to no one else, right? To God. Or, and you do it joyfully, right? Or you do it after your life is over in judgment, reluctantly with tears in your eyes because you know there's judgment coming. I wrote in the notes, if you get the notes, you'll see it. Beat the rush. Do it now. You don't want to do it then, right? Not good. Okay, going back to the text. Say amen so I know you're still awake. All right, we're going to take a break in about one minute. Um, so he's amazed. Weren't there three men? Yes. Four men walking around in the fire, unbound. What's that? They were bound probably with rope, right? The only thing that changed we're about to see is that they're free. You come to Christ in a, in a crisis or not, you will be free from whatever was binding you. They're free and they're walking around in there. It's absolutely astounding to this king. Okay, unharmed is the next, uh, 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 let's see, is that an adverb? No, it's an adjective. Verse 25, unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Okay, let's take our two minute break because we got to see what's going to happen here. Is Nebuchadnezzar going to have his come to Jesus moment? I'm going to turn my screen and microphone off. We'll just have two minutes to stretch and I'll see you in two minutes. Don't go away. All right, we're back on the air here after our commercial break. Let me put this over here. Now I'm looking at my notes because I have so many notes on this uh, passage. These boys had to choose, do you love the world and the world idol, or do you love God? First John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's that scripture and others say it's either or either you love God or you love the world. A lot of people try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in church, right? Some sort of a compromise. If you are a salesman and you know you have to kind of lie to get ahead and it's only one little lie and little compromises lead to big compromises. Amen. Um, these men love God more than they love their lives their actual lives, if you will. Um, we already talked about that. I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, yeah, there's so many excuses. We're going to lose our jobs. We're going to die. And we're not positive there's a God. They're positive there's a God, right? God will understand if I just this one time, the excuse. How about this excuse? Everybody else is doing it, right? I mean, peer pressure is a big deal, isn't it? Okay, let's talk about civil disobedience. Do you know what that is? Breaking the law. Okay, are there instances when Christians ought to break the law? Generally, the answer is no. But there's exceptions, right? I mentioned one earlier, Peter and the boys in uh, the apostles, uh, they're in jail. And they've been told, don't preach Jesus. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. Remember that? 
So if the government ever says you got one month to turn in all your Christian books and your Bibles, we're going to burn them all. You can't go to church. You can't pray. You can't read the Bible. You can't don't worship God. What should your response be? Civil disobedience. We must obey God rather than men. Well, what if we end up in jail or then you go, right? You trust God. Might your life end? It might right? There's martyrs all through human history. God does not always save us out of the fire, but he either saves us out of the fire or in the fire, he's with us. Um, okay. We already talked about that. Yes, civil disobedience. Okay. I'm just still reading more, more notes. Okay. Let's go back to the text. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Oh, that was kind of a weak one. Are you still awake? Amen. Okay. That was better. Amen. Okay. Um, so he leaps to his feet. Wasn't there three? I see four men, one like a son of the gods. I love verse 26. Watch what happens. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. Blazing. It's hot in there. And he shouted over the noise. You ever heard of big fire? There's a roar. Fire makes noise, doesn't it? He shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Listen to what he calls them. Servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Okay, before we move on, does anybody notice something that's missing? How many were in there? How many did he call out? You know what? It's a good thing he didn't call the fourth being. Son of God, come out too. Can you imagine if Christ came out and said, are you guys all here to worship this idol? Can you imagine? It's grace that he didn't ask that fourth being to come out. We don't know what happened to him. He just, once they were out of the danger, he was gone again, right? He's obviously with them and you invisibly, but he doesn't get, the king doesn't say, and you, Mr. Son of God, I'd like to meet you too. Oh, no, you don't. He will meet him, right, one day. But this wasn't the day, thank God. Um, okay. He calls them servants of the singular, most high God. Most high God appears in this book a bunch of times. It appears in the Old Testament a lot. It means Yahweh. Jewish God, okay? The Old Testament God. Most high God to a pagan, a polytheist with many gods, most high God would mean of all the gods, he's number one, right? Like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the most high football team this year. They won the Super Bowl. One of many teams, but they were the best. In a sense, for a pagan to say this, a polytheist, he's saying, I still have my other gods, but I got to admit, you're God. Wow. No other God could do that. The question he asked, what God can save you if you go in that hot furnace, was answered, wasn't it? It makes sense to me that it wasn't an angel, that it was God himself. He did recognize it was God, Jerry said. Absolutely. That's right. You servants of the most high God, come out. Come here. 
right? Nebuchadnezzar in the chess game that's being played, he thought he had checkmate. Throw him in the furnace. We're done. Let's get back to our worship. Oh, no. They're walking around in there, right? So he has checkmate on him. He's now disgraced. So is the idol. This whole thing, the, the effort, the construction, the money it costs to cover that thing with gold is all a big waste. Watch what he says. So they came out of the fire, but let's describe them, right? Were they barbecued, sunburned, singed? Verse 27. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. These are all the powers that be, the you know, chiefs of police, the Congress, the Supreme Court, the generals of the army, all the movers and shakers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was even no smell of, of fire. Have you ever been in a fire or been around a fire and then, or even been around, I worked for many years in nightclubs in the 1970s and 80s when smoking indoors was fine, right? And I would come home, you get used to it. And then in the morning, I would wake up and my clothes smelled like a smoke factory, like I, there's no other way to, like you just want to like throw them out kind of thing. These guys don't even smell like smoke. No evidence, no harm whatsoever. What changed? The ropes that were binding them were broken. That were burned off, right? No harm to them whatsoever as they worshiped in there. Now, here's a kind of a trippy thing I'm going to just throw out to you. There is the Old Testament, right? Okay. And it was written in Hebrew, except for Daniel. You with me so far? By the time, shortly before the time of Christ, things on earth had changed to the point that Greek, Greek became the language of the, of the masses. Okay. Hard to believe, but Latin was the language of the Roman Empire, but they conquered so much of the world, they sort of adopted Greek as the language because so much of the world spoke Greek. You with me so far? Around this time, they got 70 scholars together, okay? The Jews did, and they decided, let's translate the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek. They call that translation, listen, the Septuagint. You with me so far? Okay. The Septuagint translation of this passage says something that we didn't read. Okay. Might it be true? It wouldn't surprise me. This blows my mind. The Septuagint says, let me find the verse. Um, the Septuagint says, in verse 25, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God, and I hear singing. Isn't that a trip? Are they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, singing praise to their God, right? Wait, what was the setting again? A big, huge 90-foot idol. When the music starts, Everybody worships. God says, nah. The three men go into the fire, 
Miracle number one, they're not hurt by the fall. Miracle number two, they're not hurt by the um, fire, but the ropes do burn off. Miracle number three, God, Jesus Christ, Christ before the manger, shows up. Miracle four, what are they doing? Walking with the Lord, and they are worshiping. Maybe they're singing. And he hears angelic three-part harmony singing the music he had hoped for in the middle of a fire. Do you remember when Paul and Silas are prisoners in the Philippian jail? Do you remember? Well, it's over. They're all bummed out. No, it's midnight. And what are they doing, folks? They're singing praises to God. Listen, there's no situation, no matter how bad you will be in in your life, where if you don't, if you do this, stop. Forget your situation, your pain, the fire, the worry, all that stuff, and just start praising God, okay? Watch how your mood changes. Watch how everything changes. Old Testament, listen, the Lord, listen, inhabits, lives inside of the praises of his people. But you say, yeah, you know what? I can praise God when everything's going well. Nobody praises God like me. But when I'm bummed out, listen, when you're bummed out, when you're worried, when you're scared, when you're fearful, that's the time to praise him the most. That's, you say, what is this praise thing? Does God have such a big ego? He needs to constantly be told how great he is. No, listen, it's just the opposite. You and I have such big egos. We need to constantly be reminded how small and powerless we are and how awesome he is. And when you do that, everything changes. Okay, we're off the subject, Joe. Not really, but sort of. Okay, were they singing in the fire? I don't know, but I had to throw it in at no extra charge. Well, actually, there'll be a small charge. All right, um, so he calls to them, come on out. They come out. They're not harmed. The clothes don't smell like smoke. No smell of fire on them. Verse 28, the reaction. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, notice what he doesn't say. Why don't you raise the temperature 14 times what it was, and let's see if that'll burn him. He gets it. Or does he? Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his messenger, is really that word angel, and rescued his servants. He can't deny it. There's no way to, you know, spin this with, you know, lies. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And he makes a decree. Remember the old decree? Worship this idol I have or burn. New decree, verse 29, big change. Therefore, I decree that all the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble or trash garbage bins. For no other God can save in this way. Now, 
Scholars have debated what I just read. Does that mean, okay, he's in. He finally gets it. He's a believer now. Is he? Or did he just put that Jewish God of those three boys at the number one position among all the other gods, right? I have a friend, um, lives in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I've known him many, many years. He, was, he managed my career for a while. He's a dear man. I love the guy. He, it's sort of like, how can I explain? It's sort of like going to a casino you know, the roulette wheel, you can bet on which number you think will come up, or you could bet red or black. My friend is betting on red and black and on every number. You say, well, what do you mean? Every morning, this friend of mine prays to Jesus and to the Jewish God and to Allah and to the Hindu gods and does Buddhist chants He's covering every base just in case. Do you really think the God in heaven's going, I don't mind you praying to those other gods. Long as you're talking, put me in that mix and we're good, right? It's, we're back to pagan polytheism, right? Dangerous and crazy in my opinion. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, well, let's see, we talked about that. Oh, I'm behind in my notes. Sorry, talk amongst yourselves. Um, Isaiah 43, we haven't taken a detour yet. Keep your finger in Daniel, take a left and go about three books to the left and go to Isaiah 43 with me. Isaiah 43, I'll give you a second to find it. From Daniel, three or four books to the left. It's quite a few pages because they're long books. Isaiah 43, are you there? Say amen so I know you're there. Verse two, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Remember the Red Sea? Remember the Jordan River? Remember your baptism? When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Cool. Keep reading. They will not sweep over you. When you walk, oh, that's interesting, walk through the what? Fire. You will what? Not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And it goes on from there. I wanted to show you that one is a fulfillment of the other. Um, Isaiah 43. Um, let's see. Now, like every miracle, and we have several miracles here, don't we? There's always scoffers that say, well, you know what? Maybe the fire wasn't that hot. Okay? Answer? It burned the three dudes that threw them in. That's how hot it was, right? Have you noticed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is central to Christianity? You talk to skeptics or read their books, and they'll give you all the reasons why he didn't rise from the dead. But the Bible, the Gospels are so written so ingeniously that if you chase down every conspiracy theory, none of them work. Let me give you an example. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The disciples came and stole the body. Okay. First of all, there was Roman guards there. Do you remember that? 
Second of all, there was a huge stone and the Roman seal was put on it in wax, which meant you break the seal, you have the death penalty. The Roman government will come after you, okay? But let's assume somehow the guards took a coffee break or were, watching, were checking their email on their phones, you know, and, and um, they were able to move the rock and they stole the body. Why? Why would they steal the body? These are the same guys who eventually had to decide, do you want to renounce Christianity or be killed? And do, what did they all say? Okay, okay, I renounced it. It was all just, we stole the body. No. You know what they said? You're going to have to kill me because I believe this is true, right? There's no reason to steal the body. Okay, you ever heard this one? Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Oh, sure, he lost a lot of blood. He was very weak. Sure, they wrapped him in bandages and put 75 pounds of embalming stuff that hardened like a paste, like a cast on a broken arm all over his body. But with three days with no water and no food in the tomb, he revived. Okay? And then walked and found the disciples on bleeding, bruised feet somehow got out of the cocoon he was in and convinced them, I'm risen from the dead. Does that seem likely? How do you explain Acts 1 when he rises to heaven and they watch him go? Um, there's so many other theories. I won't go into all of them, but the point is people always um, try to disprove miracles, okay? But if you remember nothing else, remember this. Is this whole thing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not burning in that furnace and being saved, and a fourth person in there, God, is that not a pretty amazing miracle? Yes. Wouldn't you think, besides what Nebuchadnezzar said, that that whole society would become believers in God? Did they? No. What's your point? My point is, you ever meet these people? I'm glad that you believe, Mike, in Jesus. If that works for you, that's great. For me, I would need to see real... Jesus would need to come in to my family room and sit and talk with me and do a miracle and prove it. And you know what? There's a Greek word for that, baloney. Th that person, if they saw an incredible miracle, would say, I just need to see one or two more miracles. And do you think that would do it? No, right? Who, who is really convinced by miracles? Miracles, listen, strengthen the faith of those who already believe. But people who see the miracles externally marvel at them and move on, okay? Because it doesn't fit what they want to believe. The Bible teaches that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, no one can be saved. Everybody knows that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible also says a pretty weird thing, which is that if you believe, Ephesians 1, God, listen carefully, chose you and you and him and me and even those two. And you say, what? When did he choose me? When I came to faith. No. What does Ephesians 1 say? When did he choose us? What, Mike? Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Do I understand this? No. 
I don't. I, well, I didn't exist then. He chose me then. But if that's true, and it is, then there's no basis for me boasting to this guy who just won't believe I'm just more spiritual and smarter than you, you see. And that's why I believe and you don't. Wrong. All Christianity is is one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. And if God has chosen this guy, he will sooner or later get a hold of him and draw him. Listen to John 6.44. Jesus talking. He says an astounding thing. Just the first half of the sentence I'll say first. Jesus says, John 6.44, no one can come to me unless... Wow, unless what? Unless the Father who sent me draws him. So you may think, I came to Jesus on my own. I did. I, I investigated it. I, I really researched it. I read the Bible. I prayed. And I came on my own. If that's what you believe, great. It's not scriptural. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So whether you felt it or not, this was happening. God was going, come here. Bob, come here, Joe, come here, Kathy. And slowly, you may have like resisted for a while, but you can't resist forever. Okay, let's keep moving now that I've offended everyone. Let's keep ro rolling. Um, so what's the so what for you and me? Just this. Are you in the furnace? Is it getting hot? Are you worried about something? Or four things? Or 11 things? Um. If you're in that position, start praising God. Trust God through it, as opposed to saying, get me out of here. I admit, I sometimes do the get me out of here prayer, right? Don't you? Sometimes I have to say, whatever you want me to learn, I want to make sure I learn every single thing before you get me out of here. And then please get me out of here, right? Um, wherever you are, he's right there with you. Um, he might deliver you out of it, or he might bring you through it. Okay. Now in the remaining time, I'm going to take a totally left, a total left turn. Okay. Turn with me to revelation chapter 13. You say what revelation easy book to find its way at the back, right? Revelation 13 speaks about most of the chapters of revelation 13 are about a seven-year period right before the end of the world as we know it, okay? Mankind has always wanted what Nebuchadnezzar sort of had. He didn't really have it. And that is, I want to rule the whole world. Nebuchadnezzar ruled a lot of it, okay? It's a hyperbole to say he ruled the whole world. He didn't. Okay, but he had a huge empire, which God was right. We'll see in the weeks to come. The Medo-Persians did take over that empire, followed by the Greeks, followed by the Romans, etc. We'll talk about that another time. But the subject we just have dealt with was a world powerful world leader. Listen. Who said, worship this image or else. Right. You with me so far? Revelation 13 is the chapter, there's others, but it's the chapter that deals with a guy called the Antichrist. How many have heard of the Antichrist before? He's called the beast, the son of perdition, um, the prince that will come. He's all different titles. Listen, 
in the end times of the world, one man will rule the whole world again. Okay? But in a way no one ever has. It'll literally be the whole world. This man, Antichrist, will be charismatic, brilliantly smart, probably very good looking, probably just so charismatic and engaging in his speech that your unbelieving friends will think, this guy is incredible. And you, having the Holy Spirit, if you're around then, will think, something ain't right. Uh, I don't like this at all. The Antichrist is a man empowered by the devil. Okay? He is able to do lying signs and wonders, Thessalonians says. We won't go there now. I just want to show you a couple things in Revelation 13 and pull in Daniel. Okay? Um, um, I saw verse one, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. We're not here to study revelation. Good Lord. This would take 10 years to go through just this book, but the dragon is the devil. Okay. We're told that in this book, the beast is the antichrist. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on his horns. And each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, fast moving, had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, the devil, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. Let me ask you a question. How bad is a fatal wound? As bad as you can get, right? If it's fatal, what does that mean, class? It means you die. Okay, so the guy dies, huh? That's the end of that. Nope. The whole world, but the fatal wound had been healed. That makes no sense, right? You can't have a fatal wound be healed unless there's a resurrection. Unless it's a fake or, you know, kind of questionable resurrection. You mean like Jesus? Well, Jesus was a real resurrection. This guy is the anti-Christ. Okay. The whole world was astonished and followed after the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast, verse 4. And they worshiped the beast and said, who's like the beast and who can make war with him? That reminds me of what Nebuchadnezzar said. If I throw you in that furnace, what God can save you? Who can make war against the Antichrist? Total power. Okay, we're not going to do the whole blasphemous words. His authority is 42 months in verse 5. That's three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation. Um, okay, verse seven, the bad news. If you're here then, he was given power to make war against the who? Saints. You know who that is in the New Testament? Ken said us. Marita raised her hand. And to what? Conquer them. Oh, God will protect me. Maybe. Maybe not. We might die for our faith. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we may have to have a choice made. Are we going to worship this dude? Because that's coming, watch, or not. All the inhabitants, verse 8, of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. Stop right there, verse 9. Do you see that? Whenever you see that phrase in the Bible, that's like saying, listen up, this is really important. He who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, so this is a book written to Christians. What does it say to you? 
if anyone is to go into captivity, meaning be caught and be jailed into captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be what? Killed with the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the who? Believers, saints. This Antichrist guy is going to solve all the world problems. He's going to be a great world leader, except for one thing. He's going to hate your guts and the Jews, believers and the Jews. Okay, then there's another beast. Um, I'm moving down. Um, skip down to verse 16. Oh, no, no, no. We went too, we didn't go far. We went too far. Um, Verse 13, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Miracles. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, verse 14, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up, listen to this, you Nebuchadnezzar students. He, in, he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Somehow, supernaturally, he's going to be able to, they're going to make a statue of the Antichrist and the thing is going to move and talk. Okay. Now, does this mean television? Does this mean a hologram? Does this mean what it says? Probably means what it says. Okay, notice that you either worship that beast, just like the idol in Nebuchadnezzar's time, or die. Well, maybe I'll just go down on one knee and pretend and God will, forget it. Be like the three boys, amen? Um, okay, but it's going to get harder than just that. How so, Joe? Verse 16, he also forced everyone. What do you mean by everyone, John? Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. What? You mean the mark of the beast? Of the yes, that's what we're talking about. Where? Right hand or forehead. Now, there's scholars that think, well, this is symbolic. It doesn't mean the right hand. It means hand has to do with what you do. Forehead has to do with what you think. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> a mark on your right hand or your forehead. Okay, so what's the deal with the mark? So that no one could buy or sell, verse 17, unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it's man's number, his number is 666. Could you explain all this, Joe? No. I don't fully understand it. But it sounds to me like a, a ruler that's so powerful who controls world commerce to the point that you can't buy gasoline, groceries, your electric power bill, you can't buy a car, you can't work, you can't have a bank account, you can't do anything in society unless you have the mark here or here. Now, scholars have read this for centuries and said, impossible. You can't control all of commerce until computers got here, right? How many of you own a cell phone? Do you know, they know, not only do they know that you're in this building, they know where you are in this building. 
okay? They're coming to take you away, Mike said. So how hard would it be to have some kind of a mark where you can't buy anything? You go to the grocery store and boop, oh, you have the mark. Okay, you can buy something now, boop, on your hand or your forehead. You say, you mean like credit cards? Well, what's the problem with credit cards? They can be stolen, right? They can be, what's the problem with cash? It can be stolen. It could be counterfeited. But on your hand or your forehead, pretty good system. If it was in the right hands, it's in the wrong hands. Because remember, what's implied here is you can't get the mark unless you worship the image. Don't worship the image, no mark. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to do it. Well, good luck then. You got enough food for three and a half years? You got enough water, medicine, shelter, firewood? I don't know. But do you really think if you were that faithful and said, I'm not taking the mark, do you really think God would go, well, Jordan, you're on your own? You think so? I don't think so. I think God would say, wow. I'm there in the fire with Jordan. I'm there with Ken and Charlotte, whoever. Don't you? Okay. Uh, well, we took a huge detour. We're going to quit in a second here. Um, if you have a question, you can always email me where you got the link for this. We are recording this study. I'm going to hit stop in a second if Mike reminds me. Um, and we'll meet next Tuesday here. Thank those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom. Um, what a blessing Zoom has turned out to be. I really thought it was a pain in the rear when it started. Um, and what a blessing. And also the recording. If you don't get the email that I send in about an hour and a half from now with the notes and you want it, let me know and I'll send you the notes. It also has the link for where you can watch the recording of this Bible study. Um, I think that's all we want to say. Let's pray and then we'll get out of here, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we could be in your word. What an awesome lesson about faith, about not compromising, about believing you regardless, God. Absolute faith in you. And we know even that faith is a gift from you. Here we are, Lord, in the United States of America, most of us in a pagan land where God's, you've been taken out of the schools and rapidly our society is changing. There's many idols here, God. Help us to be focused on you to the point that we would never compromise or worship anything except you. We pray that you would give us faith even in the hottest furnaces, God, to hang with you and wait with you, knowing that you're right there with us. May we never be those that glory in our possessions or our position or our... Um, fame or our good looks or our whatever else, but all the glory goes to you, Father. Thank you for this time, God. Give us that sort of faith that grows, that stays in your word like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you for each one that's here. What a privilege to be here, but we thank you that your spirit is the one that teaches this class. All glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you on Zoom, I usually come back on in 10 minutes and we'll say hello. I can't do that because I've got people here who are so needy, all of you. Just kidding. No, I'm going to go talk to them, um, but so I won't come back on. But thank you for being here. I hope you'll be here next week. God bless you all.